Welcome to the Astrology Hub podcast. I'm Amanda Poole Walsh, founder of Astrology Hub and your host for our flagship show. We explore the many ways astrology can support you in your relationships, career, health, and personal growth. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. I am so happy that you are here. If you're new to this channel, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so that you are notified whenever we have another amazing astrological conversation here on this platform, which happens quite a bit. Today, we are going to be talking about how past lives can help you find your purpose in this life. Specifically, we're going to be focusing on evolutionary astrology's perspective on past lives. Also, the significance of aspect patterns like the yawn in exploring past lives and how these aspects influence your current life stage, potentially helping you get more clear on your purpose. It's a super juicy topic and I can't wait to dive in. But before we do that, I just want to thank today's sponsor for this podcast episode, Astro Gold and Solar Fire. There's a lot of great free astrological software out there that can really help you get started. But there comes a time in every astrology student's life when you graduate and you are ready for the next level of astrological software tools. If you're a Mac user, AstroGold is an amazing choice. And if you're a PC user, Solar Fire is the place to be. Many of the astrologers you hear on Astrology Hub, such as Gemini Brett, Rick Levine, Jamie McGee, they've all integrated AstroGold or Solar Fire into their practice. The software has earned its reputation as a reliable and insightful tool because it offers high-precision calculations for advanced users and beginners alike, all with a very friendly user interface. As a partner of Astrology Hub, they are offering our community 15% off your software purchase, but you have to click on the link on the screen or in the show notes and enter our discount code to claim your special pricing. You won't regret making this commitment to your practice today. Thank you, AstroGold and Solar Fire, for making it possible for us to offer the great free content that we do here that our community has come to rely on here at Astrology Hub. All right, so to our topic for today, Ari Moshe Wolf is our guest. He is trained in Jeffrey Wolf Green's Evolutionary Astrology. He's the author of Evolutionary Astrology, A Beginner's Guide. He's been practicing astrology for over a decade and is an amazing teacher as well. He is also the current Inner Circle Astrologer Guide. He's going to be teaching our Inner Circle members in conjuncts and yawns 101. So Ari, welcome to the Astrology Hub podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Amanda. All right. So let's dive in. Can you give us a brief overview of what evolutionary astrology says about past lives? Not uh, taking for granted that everyone actually even believes in past lives. So kind of starting at that point that some do, some are maybe unsure, some don't. What does evolutionary astrology say about it? Great. Well, to answer this question, I want to um, give a premise. It doesn't really matter if you know your past lives. I want to be really clear about this. What we're going to talk about today, I don't want any of it to become its own sort of materialism where we inherent value or meaning in having this knowledge. I also want to say there's a world of a difference between direct perception and insight versus a belief or something we're making up. To me, it's not ever important or meaningful to know I was this and this. And, you know, everyone was Cleopatra in a past life. Let's just accept that. So this knowledge is not useful. It, it, there's no inherent usefulness in it on its own. What we're going to be exploring here is how evolutionary astrology offers a map that even if we don't have that direct perception of past lives, and I would even say even if we don't believe in it, it's going to speak to and frame this current life that we're living, which we can all agree upon, here we are. And we all got a chart. If we're here watching this podcast, okay. And it's going to frame it from the point of view of your journey didn't start now. One way or another. There is an existing context in the eternal journey of your being waking up to what you are. That's led to the particular circumstances that are highly and beautifully relevant to your ongoing realization. Just that alone is almost a way of saying... If you're reading a book, chapter 13 
while it is its own chapter, it implies the context of all the chapters that came before. And so I am using a particular cosmological orientation. It's relevant to my own perspective, my own experience, my own learning, but I really want to honor the, the huge spectrum of ways in which we can internalize and think about this thing that we're doing, this soul journey or this evolutionary process. The languaging and perspective that I'm offering here is I call us a soul, which is what we are when you take away the body and the ego structure and the personal human constructs that we're living. I think of the soul as that which is eternal. It doesn't really die. The soul comes in and out of experience. It comes in and out of incarnation, all of those things. And thus, when we look at the idea of what is the kind of context that's come before this lifetime, I'm going to use the word in the frame of a past life. So what I want to really invite everyone listening to take these teachings from the point of view of how can this knowledge of what's come before this life be in service to the work that I'm doing now. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. That's the way in which this perspective can be useful for us. How does it help us now? Love that, Ari. I have found that it's very easy to sort of get sucked into the, the story and the sort of like stimulation of contemplation that can come with past life discussions. Yep. And but it doesn't always become relevant to what's happening right now. How does this information actually help me live a better life today? And so I love this idea that whether or not past lives are things that are just, you know, collective ideas in the, in the collective unconscious or, you know, whatever it is that what we're doing here today is we're talking about whatever came before us being here. So I love how you say this, uh, what has come before this life and how can this be of service to right now? Exactly. That's the essence. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Okay. So let's talk about evolutionary astrology's perspective on this. So the, the modality of evolutionary astrology as brought forward by Jeffrey Wolf Green, and I want to just give a moment to honor the lineage, these teachings and the essence of this work was received from Sri Yukteswar. Um, who during his incarnation was the guru, the teacher of Yogananda, um, who was one of the main teachers that brought yoga and, and yogic teachings and meditation from India to the West. So Jeff Green received all this in the inner planes from Sri Yukteswar in the 70s. So I, I really always like to just credit and honor where these teachings come from. It's a way of engaging and using astrology as a way to map and understand the underlying soul dynamics that we each bring into this lifetime. Thus, it views the total circumstantial reality of our human existence, every part of it, with no exception, as perfectly relevant to the soul's ongoing evolutionary needs. And the perspective of evolution is that evolution is really an ongoing process of generating new desires. I want to find out more. I want to grow into who, who I am more and realize more power within and exhausting desires. Okay, well, that, that experience has been completed. Time to let go. It's an ongoing process. And within that, there's that in-between phase, that chrysalis phase of you're about to become a butterfly and you're still ending that old form. And that's an ongoing process. We experience that always on larger or smaller scales. And this life is designed for our evolution. This earth school is designed for soul evolution and it regards the human body experience and the ego structure, the personality that we each have. It regards that as a projection of self, meaning our personality, our ego construct, it doesn't have its own independent existence. You can think of it as a satellite to the soul. We as a soul project an image of ourselves. And that becomes a vehicle through which we have the human experience. So the analogy is you drive a car to get somewhere. Or Jeff Green uses the example of a film projector, which focuses the light into a particular form. And that form allows the light to have a particular experience. It gives it a particular dimension, dimensionality. So this human experience within time and space, including the personality structure, the sense of self, serves as the means through which we will have experience and grow. What's happening underneath 
the scenes underneath the surface, predominantly unconscious to our own sense of self, our own self-awareness, is the evolutionary needs of our beingness, the evolutionary needs of the soul. I'm craving this. I'm resisting this. I'm irritated by this. I'm obsessed by this. There's a thing that I'm holding on to. There are these dimensions of my life experience that we all share that are hard. There are emotions that we experience and uh, strong draws towards things and strong uh, aversions. Underneath that is what we can say is the soul curriculum. And it's kind of like when you get to the bottom of something, when you get to the core, like, ah, here's a core dynamic that I, I've been attached to my power or security comes from being liked, all right? And I'm, I'm finally grabbing that, I'm meeting that. I'm like, ah, I can let go of that. That's, that's the evolutionary process, right? And so we create these current life circumstances simply, and there's something beautiful nuance I'm going to add here in a moment. We create these current life circumstances as the continuation from where we left off. But this continuation is not like, okay, yeah, in my last lifetime, I was a samurai in China, and now I'm going to be a samurai in China. It doesn't work like that. There's a sort of brilliance um, that's beyond my comprehension to the algorithm of our own unique karmic reality. The soul resonates. And it's not even accurate to say creates because I, you know, I create a, a drawing on a piece of paper and I get it. I'm holding a pen and a paper resonates and vibrates according to its inner reality, it's really beyond my comprehension. It's like creation on the level of the projected intelligence that creates galaxies. It's, we come into the perfect circumstances that will be just relevant for us to continue with the work that we're doing, but it might mean we're in a different culture. We're in a different body, a different gender. Well, definitely a different body, different gender. And, and it's so unique. It's so unique. And this is where the brilliance of evolutionary astrology comes in we can look at the chart dynamic and we can actually clearly identify and measure what is, for example, something that you've already been working on that you're actually playing out again and repeating versus you're creating new dynamics to create the opposite or the counterpoint for something that you've experienced because you've exhausted that experience. You know, many of us will come into a female body after lifetimes of being in a male body, but it comes back to, well, why? Why would the soul come into its unique particular experience, how is that relevant to its ongoing evolutionary needs for realization? It's not a one-size-fit-all. It's never a one-size-fits-all. And this is one of the most important things that I'll say here and repeat when it comes to anything astrology. There's not one configuration or aspect pattern that means the same thing for every single soul. So the key principle in the way that evolutionary astrology works with past lives is it recognizes that the chart reflects the reality of the soul. The chart reflects the reality of the soul. When we understand what that means, we'll want to observe the actual reality of the individual, their level of consciousness, what's actually happening for them. 40 people can have the same exact chart and be having very different, we know this with twins, there will be archetypal overlaps, but oftentimes very different lives. It's because the chart is reflecting the reality of the soul. And we have to read the chart and the symbols of the chart archetypally to accurately represent what the soul is actually going through. Everything can exist on multiple levels of consciousness and manifest in different cultures in different ways. So just to give one example of this piece, and then I'll move on to the next question or conversation. Let's say, just to point out, we're looking at Saturn in the natal chart. Saturn, obviously, there's going to be a reason from an evolutionary perspective why Saturn is where it is. Saturn is going to correspond to, in short, the necessary learning of parameters, limitations, boundaries, and how we're basically engaging time and space in a way that supports us in our own learning. So it, it, it focuses consciousness and self-awareness around limitations and form to become more in our own authority with greater agency in our relationship to form. That's going to say a lot about the culture that you're living in. Saturn anywhere will be incredibly relevant to, well, okay, you have Saturn in, you know, the first house in Aries and you're a woman. Okay, great. You know, that's obviously a soul that is 
really learning how to harness and channel their raw energy in constructive and useful ways. So they'll be learning these Saturn lessons around what's constructive action, what's not, all that kind of stuff. But let's say you have Saturn and Aries in the first house and you're a woman and you're in a highly patriarchal or oppressive culture and society that says women can't have jobs. That's very different than a person with the same exact chart but is in a male body in a culture that really supports and encourages men to be in control. So we have to observe the reality of the soul and ask ourselves this question, why? And I want to say something about why, because why is also one of those things where like, who cares why? Just engage, you know? So I don't want any of this. I don't want even why to become this like, we have to know the reason. Why from the point of view that actually takes us deeper into a greater capacity to find compassion and insight and meaning and personal self-awareness within our context, within our circumstances. So the gift of an evolutionary astrologer is they can say, okay, here are the soul lessons. You're, I'm limited. I'm not allowed to have this power. I feel repressed. I feel angry. Okay. What's the evolutionary intention? Why are you manifesting these circumstances? What's the unique gift here for you? That's the point. Okay. So we might then take that and say, yeah, you know, you've had all these lifetimes as a man exercising unchecked authority and going overboard and being very controlling and forceful and punishing. So this is a part of your soul's journey in learning how to come into right relationship. It's not necessary to say that. And by the way, it may not be true. I'm just giving a random example. This kind of knowledge around the context and the circumstances of the past and in more, more accurately, the archetypal dynamics of the past, it's only helpful if it helps provide more insight and self-awareness. And we can give some more specific examples as we go. But hopefully this is accurately imparting the sense of where this modality is coming from and how we understand the immense diversity and, and possibilities of how the soul creates new circumstances for itself and what it means to look at the needle chart where it's all reflecting how the soul in this lifetime is creating circumstances for its ongoing evolutionary needs. Ooh. Okay. I, I think we're all going to need to replay that back like three to five times because that was such a di condensed, distilled, incredible explanation of this idea of evolution, of this idea of the soul coming in with this underlying resonance that is attracting in the experiences it wants to have. But then there's context around that. Like you're saying, the Aries, the Saturn in Aries in the first house in one culture and one gender and one place and time and space is a very different experience than one in another. Yeah. And so what is it that the soul is wanting to experience given the context yes. of the incarnation that it's in right now? Exactly. And how that, that a skilled astrologer, a skilled astrologer, uh, evolutionary astrologer can reflect back certain aspects of that. But like you're saying, not getting stuck in some story of you were this and you were that. And, you know, I can even see that there could be shame that could come. Yeah, if we're not careful with it. And that's right? why sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish this, thing, you know, it, it's right. so easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I got, oh, you know, even in the experience, the um, example you gave, you know, it's like, God, well, I was a horrible human and now I'm here to like repent for my sins. You know, it's not about that, but, but how it can give you insights into, into what it is you're here to learn, why you may be in certain circumstances. What are the lessons that you're here to distill from that archetypally, like from an archetype perspective, what are, what are the confines that you're exploring? And then how that can be really helpful to embrace where you're at in your life. Exactly. You really just, instead of railing against it, it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm here to have these kinds of experiences. I love how you defined evolution. I'm going to go back to that for a sec, because you said that evolution is, is this process of generating new desires and exhausting old desires. And that that's that that, that feeling of forward momentum that we have as we kind of like there's something new emerging in me and I'm sort of letting go of that old thing that used to be super important to me. Uh, I, I think it's really amazing to reflect on, especially given the what the word desire means. Yes. Of the stars, Daisy Dere, like that desire is coming from the on that star map, from that star origin that we all have. 
So I just, and all, everything you just said is amazing. And I, I wish I could just hit like pause and repeat right now to distill even more, but go ahead. I, I can feel you wanting to yes. say something. Yeah. So I want to say that's, and that's Jeffrey Wolf Green's definition, but the final part of that definition of evolution is until the only desire that remains is the desire to reunite with the source. Ooh. And is that at the point, is that the point at which we maybe stop this reincarnation cycle? If, if, if we do believe Some extent, in- Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say my understanding and, and Jeff Green actually teaches, and this comes from more of the Vedic philosophy, as I understand it. He teaches evolutionary stages, which simply recognizes you can interpret any chart at any level of consciousness. So roughly there's consensus stage, the individuated stage and the spiritual stage. And that just reflects sort of the, the gravity of consciousness within the soul itself, where their desires are focused as a, as a bottom line. And as a soul moves to the spiritualization of consciousness, there's a growing desire to know the truth. And as that deepened, everything is referenced according to that single focus. But he also teaches that the soul itself has this antithetical desire nature. And it's an ongoing choice. It points to our free will and agency, which is sort of like a mystery to me, but it's there. Like whenever I look inside, I, you know, but I don't understand it. We have a choice between where we direct our attention. The soul, we as a soul, choose what we're stoking, so to speak. And it's always a matter at any point in time between resistance or cooperation with, with, with whatever is next in our evolutionary path. Resistance or cooperation with evolutionary necessity. And the cooperation might look different at different stages according to where we're at, but to move us forward and then shed the old. And that's how I think about it. I think this whole time-space experience and even, you could even say even the illusion or perception of existing within time and space um, is temporary. I mean, I always quote A Course in Miracles that it says the purpose of time is to learn how to use time purposefully. When it's no longer needed, it won't exist anymore. And to me, that really resonates with the spiritual understanding of Saturn. These rules or limitations aren't meaningful on their own. They're a part of the template for our soul evolution. And when we graduate, so to speak, Saturn, you won't need it anymore. You'll be out of time. And maybe there's something else beyond that, you know, but um, that's how I see it. Mm. Okay, let's talk about the chart itself. So you you brought in Saturn. So you brought in a planet that gives some clues into our evolutionary impulse. You brought in a zodiac sign. You brought in Aries. You brought in a house placement. What are you looking at when you're looking at a chart to get clues about someone's past life context and how it's playing in this lifetime? Great. So when we speak about desire, being the, the essence of this evolutionary process, I want to share two things and then speak about the, ast- the astrology of that. Desire, we can fundamentally understand as an elimination process. So even though we're generating new desires, and that's always going to express on the level of human personality, right? In this last stage of my life, I was creating a human experience to have certain learning experiences, right? That the human experience that serves the intention behind the experience, but that's gone. Now I'm doing something else. So while it seems like we might be adding on new things at times, really on a soul level, it's an elimination process. It's an ongoing elimination process and that's Pluto. So desire in the, in the evolutionary astrology modality corresponds to Pluto. And the way that I would express Pluto is not so much like the desire that we have, because when we think about desire on the level of consciousness that we are most familiar with, we're thinking of Mars, which is, I want this, or I'm desiring this, or, you know, it's like the reactiveness or the, the visceral quality of desire. And Mars is the lower octave of Pluto, but Pluto points to not just the desire of the soul, but the, the desirous nature of the soul itself as, as, as what it is by its very nature. So the soul can desire that which is outside of self and that's infinite. Or it can desire to almost like penetrate Pluto uh, within. So like the, the, the concentration of attention, third eye Pluto, towards any internal or external object focus results in an osmosis with that point of concentration or focus. If I'm obsessed with having an eight pack, I'm, what am I going to do? The stronger that desire 
the more I'm going to concentrate and attract resources and videos and information. And I'm going to be osmosing myself with a particular quality of consciousness that will affect my life. If I'm desiring to know who I am, then I'm going to be directing my attention inward, right? Or if I'm really triggered by someone, I can get outside of myself and concentrate on this person did this and this and that. And that's that Pluto scorpionic victimization and anger and jealousy, all that kind of stuff. So when we die, when this body ends, that's what we take with us, right? So that's, that's what remained as a soul, that vibration, um, our fixations, our attachments, any unresolved emotional dynamics within us, as well as the extent to which we've also gone within, right? The, vi the vibrant nature of the soul. And whatever is remaining, whatever desires and external object focus remains, thus creating more human experience, that's what's going to lead us on to the next experience. And by the way, there's no judgment on that. I think it's so important. Like we kind of combine, this is sort of like, in my view, a combination of like ancient spiritual teachings, which in my view have tended to accidentally, but for sure, alienate and shame desire and the manifestation and expression of desire. I really think that's true for the most part within patriarchal society and, and human conditioning. So it's kind of combining that with a more modern, like Abraham Hicks, like desires, a leading edge. And that's, that's true, but it, it's bringing them both together because we also recognize the point is to keep on going. And it is about our spiritual evolution coming back home, that the, the materialism or the gains and the things that we get that feel great for us, the empowerment, I, I concentrated, I made more money. I think that's great, but that is a phase. Everything's a phase that will be eliminated. So you look at Pluto in the natal chart by house and sign and aspects. And that gives you fundamentally bottom line, the nature of the desire reality of the soul. It's going to speak to here are the kinds of evolutionary dynamics that is at the core of this soul's human incarnation experience in the past leading up to this lifetime. And there's this Vedic concept that, um, as I've learned, this is that each lifetime isn't necessarily relevant to all prior lives. Sometimes we evolve in themes, right? So your Pluto position would be relevant to all prior lives relative to this current life, a particular evolutionary track, so to speak. And within that Pluto position by how sign and aspects, we're going to have that cycle of gain and loss, power and disempowerment, right? The shadow dynamics that exist, that, that which we're holding onto and where we've cultivated our own power. And we're always, each one of us, if we're here on this earth, each one of us will have an evolutionary edge where there's that next letting go or there's that next time to empower myself to move on to something new for each one of us. And that fundamental um, evolutionary reality of ongoing growth and change is Pluto. And the teaching is Pluto is the bottom line. We actually look at Pluto and if we're teaching technique, which is something that I do, but I, then I always encourage drop the technique, right? Because it gets to, we have to see the whole chart as a holistic unit, but we understand Pluto as bottom line corresponding to the desire nature of the soul that actually brings us into human life in the first place. So long as there's desire, there's incarnation. So I can add a couple more elements, but I'll create space for interaction if there's more you want to speak to on that. Well, I, I definitely want to make sure there's time to talk about some of the aspects that we're looking at too, but that's fascinating. I mean, but we, we incarnate into a Plutonian cohort, right? Like I'm in the Pluto and Libra generation. What differentiates me from maybe someone who was born the same year as me is what house it falls in, what aspects it's having in the chart. And then obviously what you talked about before, the context. But would I, would I be able to deduce that all my Pluto and Libra friends out there that we're all exploring something that has to do with the Lib Libra type themes around yes. relationship and balance and harmony and, and uh, cooperation and working with others and all of that? Yeah, archetypally, that's a universal truth for the entire generation. And you, I think I remember Maurice Fernandez brilliantly articulated this once and that I resonate. 
the, the grouping of outer planets in science creates an evolutionary momentum. And I think of it as a part of the, the algorithm and the fractal cycle of things. You have a whole group of people, but within that group of people, it's each, each individual soul will have their own individuated program and also different levels of consciousness, okay? So Libra in a more consensus stage, roughly 70% of the human population, relationships, whether it's personal, business, sexual, will mean something. But then we have other souls that have a completely different paradigm. So when you're at a different level of consciousness, you play by different rules. You see and perceive. Perception corresponds to Pluto. Because perception is born from desire. That which we desire, that which we're fixated on, that which is like the deeper psychological basis for our presence here in this human experience, births perception. So I'm going to perceive relationships and think about them according to my particular soul program, that which I'm trying to work out on the inside. Mm. Yes. Okay. Any other things in the chart you want to look at before we get to ask? Yeah. So it would, it it would be important to speak to the nodes. Yes. This is the, the skeletal framework, bottom line, core starting point for the EA teachings. And it's, it's one of those things where I, I think if we just understand the philosophical perspective, even without the astrology, that's huge. That's incredibly helpful. And then we just bring it into the astrology. So I've already spoken this, but I haven't been implicit about its astrological correlation. I said the soul creates a human personality as a vehicle for playing out its evolutionary intentions and needs. Those are the nodes of the moon. So the south node of the moon is, in, in essence, who we've been. You come into this life, and if any of you have had children, you know this. You come into this life, you have a sense of self already. You have emotional memories of the past. This is not the first time you are familiar with yourself as being someone. I think I've shared this before. I'm not sure where. My daughter, who's almost four now, for the first year or two of her life, whenever I would think of her, I would see an older man. And there are times where I would look at her and there was like a dissonance, like, I can't believe you're a, a, a female bodied person. It's so weird. It, it, it totally, it, not, not, I, now I'm more used to her human self, but I think in terms of how I know her as an older man, that's all I can say, you know? Um, so we come into this life with our conditioned sense of identity. Adam Ginsberg beautifully describes the South Node as the pattern of identity making. And within that South Node archetype is a spectrum of experiences, right? So if you have the South Node in Aquarius or in the 11th house, let's say, that doesn't mean, okay, in, in prior lifetimes, you lived in a community. It's like, that's just like, there might be particular expressions of that, a communal living. It could also symbolize you've had a lot of lifetimes of persecution relative to being different, right? And thus you're kind of, you're going to come into this lifetime with a little bit of paranoia, right? Sagittarius, it might mean in a prior lifetime, you've been a teacher, but maybe you've also been a, a student. And so the South Node context is going to speak to a very wide spectrum of identity familiarity within the soul that has served as the way in which the soul's created human life to support its deeper evolutionary needs to generate and exhaust desire. And I'll say one thing about the South and that's very important. And this is where we have to really appreciate the uniqueness of every chart and never do a one-size-fits-all. The South node can easily speak to, okay, well, here are some gifts that have been developed on the level of identity, because identities can be pleasant they can be skilled. They can have integrity. They could also lie. They can be unskilled. They can be annoying. They can have a lot of attachments, right? So a human identity can carry all of those things. Sometimes the South Node corresponds to gifts from the past that are well-developed. And maybe there's a program to kind of continue with where we left off. Or other times, there are particular, let's say the South Node and Sag, there's a pattern of you know, restlessness and seeking, right? So the soul might recreate these dynamics to face what has yet been uncompleted. So very often we will live a part of our lifetime 
kind of working through our evolutionary program, Pluto, through the lens of that South Node. The point of the North Node, one way or another, we have to let go of the South Node. We don't ever leave it behind, but we let go of that as being our only way of being. In order to evolve, we have to embrace change. We have to be willing to know ourselves in a different way. And as long as we're identified with the South Node, we're not going to allow ourselves to embrace the reality of change and evolution relative to Pluto. So if we think about our lives 10 years ago, each one of us can probably imagine that we thought of ourselves differently. We knew ourselves differently. Maybe in some ways we've remained the same, but maybe in some ways our core desires have changed. I would say most of us probably can relate to that sense of, oh, I've evolved, I'm growing. And in the EA perspective, the North Node corresponds to the ongoing evolutionary direction of the soul in this lifetime, which will confront the known vehicle, which means it's going to confront the way we've known how to live and work and move through this human experience. In order to really embrace the challenges of evolution and not get stuck in the past and not get stuck in resistance, we have to be willing to know ourselves in a new way. Again, the ego is a satellite for the soul. The way the ego or the personality is manifesting is always going to point us back to our level of cooperation or resistance with our evolutionary program. So hopefully I'm not being too conceptual. I can feel a little bit of that, but the North Node in essence is a way of cooperating with evolutionary necessity. Here's the one-liner. Evolution happens through the emotional body. We have to evolve our identification, our sense of self. If I know who I am and I'm stuck on that, I'm not going to evolve. If I'm willing to know myself differently, then I'm going to embrace more confrontation. I'm going to embrace more challenges. I'm going to be okay with being uncomfortable. Translation, North Node is the vehicle for evolution relative to Pluto. Wow. Okay. It's so many questions. There's so many places we can go. I know in the inner circle that you are teaching your mastery class on aspect patterns as it relates to all of this. So, and the specific focus on inconjuncts and yods. And do you say yod or yod? I say yod, but I've never found out what the... Uh... You say yod, I say yod. All right. Um, how does this all play in? And I know this is a little bit more of an advanced level. There's, there's so much to dive into just with everything we've we talked about with Pluto and with the nodes. And it's almost like a lifetime can be lived with just that level of understanding. It is. Yeah. Where do the aspect patterns come in and how does that influence the picture? Okay. So my take on aspect patterns is to not give them a very big deal, not to give them a huge woohoo and to look at it in context, just meditating. And I'll speak to it in a moment. I'll give you an example, but just meditating in our own charts. Look at your south node and look at Pluto. Just meditate on that alone. There's so much there. And of course, there are nuances to every chart, but there's just so much to glean and, and access from that. You add chart rulers, you, you add rulership of the nodes, aspects, right? So everything is basically added from this basic framework of the south node, its ruler, north node, its ruler, aspects, all of the above relative to Pluto and its, and its aspects, all of that. We're already including a lot of the chart. I can speak to aspect patterns, but I got to qualify one thing very important. The entire chart as a whole speaks to the reality of the soul. So in a, fund, a fundamental understanding is we're, we're not looking at any of these things in their own independent way. And so that's why I say, I can't say this is what a yod means karmically. Um, what are the planets involved? How is it aspecting the nodes? How is it aspecting the nodal rulers? Once we really begin to develop that level of insight where we can see it as a whole, we can really begin to answer the question, okay, what is the reason for this unique configuration? So the yod in general, which is two in conjuncts, right? That's 150 or 210 degrees from a single point, often known as a finger of God, corresponds to a dynamic where relative to the energy of an inconjunct, there's a big adjustment. So inconjuncts are all about, we're called to manifest a particular purpose but there's often a sense of irritation or stress or challenge relative to not knowing how to actually manifest them. So there's an archetypal teaching in general for the yod or for the inconjunct, which is one step at a time. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to go too much. You're going to do too little. You're going to make a lot of corrections and adjustments as you go. 
So anyone who's got an inconjunct, that's the general meaning. Okay. If you got a yod, doubly true. It's like holding two things in your peripheral vision at the same time. The yod energy brings forth a lot of mastery and the core spiritual lesson of the yod is humility. And we learn humility by way of embracing our imperfection and being willing to start and do our best and make direction. There's oftentimes a quality of embarrassment or feeling a strong awareness of one's insufficiencies, often getting stuck in the mind, often getting stuck in a sort of mental paralysis or hyper self-awareness because of that hyper awareness. So there's a purpose to do. I sense it. I got the calling, but I don't know how to do it. And it's like, how do I get there if I'm here? So there's an immense amount of learning to trust. And as we take the step forward, what, you know, a teaching that I give in the master class, a quote that I gave from the, from the Bible in Exodus is this one scene where, um, you know, Moses was complaining with God and says, you know, God, I can't do these things. I have a, a speech impediment. I have you know, this thing with my tongue and I'm not really good at this. Pick someone else. And, and God said, who do you think gives people the ability to be speech and gives people sight? Get over yourself. Go. I will tell you what to speak. I will control your mouth. I will give you guidance. That's the yod. That's the yod. We don't have to understand it or even be ready or perfect. We just have to not get in the way of fulfilling our function. So now we can tie in that yod or any aspect pattern within the core context of the Pluto and the nodes paradigm, which gives us that starting point for, again, where's the soul coming from? What kind of human lives were created according to the soul's evolutionary needs? And then what's the ongoing evolutionary growth where it can continue to evolve and not get stuck in the past? And I can give a couple examples if we're ready for that. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm having so many like aha moments. I have a, a yacht in my chart. Okay. And I'm And I literally was thinking of a conversation I need to have with someone where I need to say very, with a lot of humility from the start, I think I want to go down this path, but I won't know until I'm there. Because the only way that I know is by having experiences which is scary because I'm making a commitment to you to go on this journey. Mm -hmm. But I may go on this journey and go, oh, shoot, this isn't the path. And I will only know that by going on the journey. Are you okay with that? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's so interesting to have had enough experiences of that to know, like, I, I will only be stuck in my head imagining the outcome until I take the step. So if the person's feeling, which is it's so interesting because it is a, a Libra type thing of partnership, and commingling because I have Pluto in Libra um, and I have the North Node in Libra and it's in the eighth house. So it's all like this commingling of experiences, but then also knowing that I don't know until I know. And I, the only way I know is having the experience. So Such a great good example. And, and if I can say to that, it's not just that we don't know until we know. Sometimes we have absolutely no clue what the intended outcome is supposed to be. Yeah. Right? Mo even Moses, he was given this task to lead people out of Egypt and take them to Israel. And then at the end of the day, God's like, and you're not allowed to go to Israel. Like what? Yeah, you're getting buried in the desert. Like what? Right. So we just have to do our work and not be attached to outcome. Right. Exactly. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. All right. So what else were you going to say? Some examples. Okay. So here we have Nikola Tesla's chart. And actually, I give this as an example. I don't go in depth in the class, um, but I, I present it. And I've noticed the coolest thing. His chart is a mirror of what's happening in the sky right now. Okay. South node in Libra. Mars approaching that south node. Okay. This is a yod with Uranus in Taurus and Neptune in Pisces, which is exactly what's happening right now in the sky. So I'll just draw it out for all of us here. And, and I, people are going to ask me the question like orbs and whatnot. I always say, think of it as turning a radio dial. It's a waning and a waxing of energy. So I'm very liberal. It's more about attuning to the energetics of it. Um, so we can use this Mars South node as the apex of the yod. Okay. So we're talking about a yod, but now, and this is why it's a good example for the purposes of this particular podcast, because it's on the South node. Okay. So this yod is, uh, is very directly correlative to prior life ego structures and dynamics brought forth from the past that's meant to continue. 
there's so much that I can unpack and say, and I, I want to say that because um, I can probably imagine zillions of questions emerging right now, and that's great. But everything in the chart is relevant. And it doesn't mean if you have, you know, Saturn and Cantor in the third house that, you know, in a prior lifetime, you wrote a book um, and research while you're lying in your bed. Like we have to really be able to take it apart and be a detective and see the whole picture and correlate it to the soul's reality. So it, when we're dealing directly with the nodes, however, now we're, we're dealing with direct correlations with past dynamics directly brought forward. And they're being recreated in whatever circumstances are useful for the current life. That's a direct correlation. Anything on the south node will correspond to that. Okay. Anything on the south node said that planetary function has been a part of the ego development of the past and you're bringing it forward. And there might be gifts and there might be a lot of unresolved content. So I'm going to speak a couple heady pieces just so I lay it down and then I'm just going to give you a more of a, an interpretation. Mars is balsamic to the south node. That means Mars is moving into a completion with the south node, so it's completing a cycle. Understanding cycles are very important in evolutionary astrology because we look at aspects and the phases of planetary relationships from the point of view of an ongoing cycle from the beginning, conjunction all the way around to completion. It says that as two planets are in relationship to one another, there are different stages of growth that are occurring. So this is corresponding to a completion of a larger cycle that's been manifesting probably for many lifetimes relative to Mars and Libra in the sixth. This doesn't mean, again, that in the past life, he had Mars and Libra in the sixth. It, archetypally, these are the dynamics that were relevant for him in the past. And it's coming to completion. So what does Mars and Libra in the sixth on the south node speak to? Let's look at that south node in general for a moment and then give some yod energetics here. This is a soul that's obviously about wanting to be helpful. Nice south node and Libra in the six. How can I help? How can I um, make things better for you? How can I serve? The core learnings here are lessons in humility and adjustments relative to giving what's actually needed and helpful. What's the shadow? Masochism within relationships. I'm someone's slave. Six house, Libra. Um, I'm in conditions where I'm constantly being criticized and I'm in a psychology or state of inferiority. Six house. Libra constantly comparing myself to that of others or constantly entering into relationships in which I'm going to be belittled and less than. Now we bring Mars there. Mars is going to bring that energetic of strong instigating experiences. Mars can be abuse. Mars can be violence. Um, Mars can be self-leadership. So it's both corresponding to where he's been learning how to say no relative to inferior relationship dynamics, in particular as it relates to working conditions, but also particular dynamics where he's overgiven relative to the people-pleasing dynamic of Mars, which will really want to go deeply and then the sixth house compensation of doing way too much work. And of course, the moon's there as well. So a lot of his own, which is also conjunct the south node. So his basic identity structure is so interwoven with being pleasing to others and helping and doing a good job and wanting to do something that's fair and balanced. One well-known story is he was very brilliant and smart. He worked for Thomas Edison. At a certain point, he was hired um, as a young man to work for Thomas Edison. Edison's job at that time, and this was a, a thing in the collective, was to make electricity available to the masses. At that time, the main electrical knowledge was that of direct current, right? Direct current from one source to another. And so that's what was predominantly used. And he wanted to figure out a way to make direct current available. But the issue with direct current is it only runs a short distance before it dies out. So you would need, you would need a lot of like DC stations. So he said, I'll give you some crazy amount of money, which today would equate to like millions of dollars, to whoever can figure out a way to make this work. So Tesla went to work. The brilliance of his mind he figured out a way to make electricity available over long distances to large numbers of people by using AC current, alternating current, which actually can travel very far. But that he had a patent on the DC current, right? So Edison, for him, that's a whole issue because there was no patent on that. There's no money in that. And he didn't want to undo the whole DC thing. So he was manipulated. He didn't get the money, even though he came up with a solution. And he began being manipulated 
and Tesla stood up for him. Mars, I'm going to leave. I'll do my own project. Right? So the, the, this is, and I'll get to the legs of the yod in a moment, but just focusing on this alone. Right? We're looking at, these are lessons of identity. We can't do the yod before we understand the context. So Pluto is the why. Pluto is what's the evolutionary intention. So the ongoing evolutionary theme for Tesla is self-reliant in his own soul leadership. Pluto and Taurus in the second house. I have what it takes to follow my own soul destiny and I can make choices and be empowered to move through obstacles and limitations. I'm capable, I'm resourceful enough, I'm strong enough. Pluto right there on the ascendant in Taurus. This soul evolutionary journey is in claiming the resilient and strength within his own soul. And thus experiencing confrontations or challenges relative to, I don't have the strength or the power. So Mars is also the ruler of the North Node, but it's on the South Node. Thus, a big healing for him was to re-engage these karmic relationships, but to make choices that then individuate him into Aries 12th house, which is I'm alone. There's no context. I have no direction. I have to trust my guidance. I have to trust God's plan for me, so to speak. And he spoke a lot about how a lot of the things that he invented and received actually came to him openly, okay? So that's just a basic evolutionary context for this south node relative to Pluto. Can we all feel and understand this Pluto wants to be strong and resilient and independent and self-reliant, but then it can get stuck here relative to the identity structure that wants to be pleasing and it's going to get stuck in people, power games and dynamics. So that individuation towards that north node says, hey, I'm not going to degrade myself. I'm going to do what I'm here to do. Unless I can be helpful and work together with others, but I'm not going to belittle myself just to get the job done. Now, let's add the yod to that. To do this, we're going to have to understand the general nature of these two individual planets, which is, again, why it's all a part of a gestalt. Neptune in the natal chart corresponds to the truth. Truth is the truth. Oneness, okay? At our individual level of consciousness, each soul is going to have their own way of connecting with or surrendering to or becoming a conduit for the oneness. Anyone could have a sort of spiritual experience or uh, an experience of awakening to something transcendent of their individual self. But we're always going to resort to the level of consciousness that we're able to actually integrate and comprehend. So for, for most souls, and I would consider Tessa to be a highly individuated soul, definitely not a consensus level of consciousness, right? Neptune in Pisces in the 11th house is the ability to be a conduit and being inspired by science and technology as a vehicle to elevate and improve and heal and serve the masses, right? This consciousness, this spiritualization, this service, and this way of connecting with love, truth, meaning with a capital M for this soul was oriented highly around spiritualizing his own direct relationship to humanity and to science and to evolution and to change and to technology in a way that serves and heals. So electricity is 11th house. He wanted to make electricity available for the masses. That's Pisces. Anything that's universal, that's indiscriminate. Now, there's not one person alive that isn't affected by alternating current electrical devices. It's everywhere we go. It's in our skies. It's underneath the earth. It's in, in our roads. So that's Neptune and Pisces in the 11th just by itself. It's also futuristic, meaning you can receive from God, so to speak, from a higher source or from other aliens, whatever, something beyond you, but is using you as an instrument for something greater than you. And you are to be inspired, to be open to it. Our inspiration connects us to that higher source. So again, he would receive these visions where he would just literally 11th house, see it. Pure observation. That's the 11th house archetype pure observation. He would see it and then he would create it. Okay, now Uranus, interestingly enough, it's a repetition. Uranus is the same archetype as the 11th house archetype. Uranus, again, corresponds to when we speak to Uranus in the context of the soul's evolutionary journey, we are all our own soul vibration. Every single soul is its own individual and has its own unique vibration and has its own quality of intelligence when it's not conditioned by the path and also says that when we're not trying to suppress our individuality, there's a unique genius and quality of awakeness that expresses to our being. Uranus will also correspond to um, submerged memories. Like the soul doesn't think of itself fundamentally as I'm Ari, I'm Amanda. 
the soul is always in a witness consciousness. There's that part of our being that's always watching in the astral plane, in that last life, in this life. It's purely witnessing. So contained within Uranus are all memories, not, not Mercury memories that we can identify, but all memories of all things the soul's ever experienced in all lives and in between lives ever. Not necessarily memories that we can identify. It's just all in the field of our pure witness awareness. So we liberate from conditioning by seeing things as they are and the intelligence of our own soul vibration and either memory of the past or memory of the future, that which is a part of the algorithm of design, like life's design, is accessible. So this soul with Uranus and Taurus in the first house is all about being able to free my perception of my life so that what I'm doing and how I'm moving forward is not conditioned by the past. How do I move forward according to my own vibration to see possibilities and directions for myself that I've never known before, but that come from my higher self, that come from my freed up inherent vibration as a soul? So anyone with Uranus in the first house can relate to that experience of there's a need to break from the past so that I'm free to see the next moment and make the next choice in a completely new way. So Uranus and Taurus in the first, again, it's this soul impulse to liberate from precedent and depend on the brilliance of his own soul to be reliant upon his own inner reality, his own inner intelligence to create new direction. Okay, bring this to the yo dynamic. The stress is here. I'm working for someone or I have a job where I'm hired to perform a task. That's very much you're hired to do something. That's very sixth house. I'm working on a project and I'm trying to meet people's needs. How do I do that while also staying true to this inspired vision, right? When, when someone's telling me, be this, but I'm like, but there's something that's boundless. And then I also feel this anxious energy that's asking me to go quicker and go faster and do more and follow this other path, Uranus and the Taurus and the first, right? Like there's a strong Aquarian energy here that's very high vibrational, very inspired and wants to keep on moving. But then that's that issue with that Yod apex, that Libra and the six, which is, other people's agendas, other people's projects, other people's needs. And he always went from one person's project to another person's project. And this was a theme for a big part of his life. And the ongoing learning for this soul was to do his own thing and to fight and defend for his own freedom and his own rights. And that's that North Node in the 12th house. Then he can't even control that. He has to surrender to the path that he's walking. So let me, let me just recap this with a couple sentences in case any of this felt too much for some of us. How do I do the work that I'm here to do when I'm here to carry forth this larger than life mission that's meant to serve all of humanity and bring technology to the masses and I need to be fundamentally free within my own self when all I can do is take the next step and do my best and life developments will lead the way. So what happened with Edison? I'm doing my work. Great. He's going to pay me. That inspired me to be innovative, you're honest, and actually connect with my vision. And I created something because I was given the freedom to think for myself. I, I thought about AC connections and I found a way to make it work. That happened through that South Node, Mars, Moon, really, in Sixth House. Someone invited that of me. But then that resulted in separation from that source. He couldn't have predicted that. But had he not walked that step, he wouldn't have invented and thought of the technology for AC currents. You know, he also invented the radio, but because of all kinds of other manipulative things based on other people, he never got credited for that until many, many, many years later. So that's the Yod in a snapshot. We can also look at the trigger point to the Yod as one of the greatest challenges for integrating the Yodal lessons. And if it's a North Node, it just puts so much power and importance on that North Node. And again, ruled by Mars, you know, it's, it, imagine sitting with someone with this chart. And this is maybe another important thing I want to say. I'm never going to sit with someone in an actual chart reading and say, you know, here's who you were in a past lifetime. I might say, here are some past life dynamics. I might say, I have a sense that you've you know, been a man a lot and this is new for you. And I'll only say these things if I can feel it and I'm going to be humble about it. Knowledge of past lives and knowledge of, and what the things that I spoke about now, to be clear, these are repeated patterns. These are dynamics that have recurred prior to that lifetime. It's very clear in this chart, right? These are themes that he's bringing forth and bringing to completion in this lifetime, in that lifetime, in part. That's a very clear correlation. So 
the the use of this knowledge when actually working with someone is again all about is it helpful to be able to identify very clearly to someone i can see from your chart and they say i have this job i'm really smart but my boss doesn't really seem to care and i'm being abused in the workplace you know i can really see from your chart this is actually a very old pattern of you really being identified with pleasing other people and doing what they want to but actually not feeling like you're able to fully express this inspiration and brilliance and intelligence that you have, but being controlled by their own personal desires or projections upon you or what they're wanting of you. I'm looking at, and I usually when I give a reading, I don't even talk the astrology. I don't usually say a word about the needle chart. Um, but for our purposes, I would say, you know, Pluto, your core evolutionary theme is to fundamentally know your own freedom. So, okay, what's the teaching here, right? You're being manipulated by your boss. You're being belittled. What's the, what's the teaching here? And it's such a valuable thing to ask and to recognize, and it's validating. This has been an old pattern. This pattern comes before this life, my friend. It's incredibly helpful and validating to be able to recognize and emotionally we'll feel the truth of that when we hear it. It's different than a belief. When we hear truth, we'll feel the emotional resonance and that can actually be deeply healing. It opens up permission and space to say, okay, wow, so much compassion and tenderness for this pattern that's been happening for a long time. What's healing look like? I'm really open and available. That's the gift that we can offer when we look at a chart in this way. Mm. Oh my God. Wow, Ari. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. For those of you who are like, oh my God, I need access to that mastery class. I want to learn more. I want to know how to look at the chart. I have a Yoda in my chart. I look at other people's charts. I want to understand how this all comes together. You can still access Ari's mastery class by jumping into the inner circle now. So you would go to astrologyhub.com slash inner circle. You can sign up, join the inner circle, have Ari as your teacher this month. Get not only this mastery class, but also his full moon teaching. Get the live Q&A. So if you're interested in being able to ask Ari questions about this, you would be able to participate in the live Q&A and he'll be doing some more chart reading examples in that as well. So that again is astrologyup.com slash inner circle. If you're like, oh, I would love to do that. And I'm willing to wait for the next time the inner circle is having a promotional period. You can get on the wait list and that's at astrologyup.com slash inner circle wait list. Um, and in that case, you will get access to the next astrologers mastery class teachings and you'll be in the stream of learning from different astrologers every lunar cycle. But Ari, this is, this is so, so helpful. And it's one of those things where I know we have to be able to look at the whole chart and, and take it in the context of the whole chart. But for me personally, even like at different stages of my journey with astrology, because my first astrology reading was with Natasha Alter, who is yes. an evolutionary astrologer. And having just like even little bits and pieces of understanding has been enough to help me understand what's going on in my life from a different perspective, make decisions that might feel scary, but I know are a part of what my soul is here to experience in this lifetime and be able to like couch it in that context of like, you know, whether or not this thing works out the way I think it needs to. There's something that my soul here wants to experience just for the experience itself. Yes. Am I willing to, to jump in and, and try it? Yes. So I, I feel like, you know, again, like if you, if you listen to all this, you're like, oh my God, it's so amazing, but I'm so far, it, it'll take me so long or, or I'm so far from being able to look at a chart and be able to read it that way. It's okay. Like just taking the bits and pieces that do make sense to you right now. So just wherever you're at, that's where you need to be. But Ari, you are such a, God, you're an amazing, talk about, and I would love to know what's happening in your chart that like, you're just, when you get going, you are so tapped into the source of information and it just flows through you so naturally and beautifully and eloquently and poetically. And it's like, I can find, feel myself hanging on to like every thought and every word. It's like, oh, wow. There's so much truth in it. It's really, really beautiful just as an experience of seeing someone in the flow. That alone is, is valuable and worthwhile to spend time with you every time. Every time I get to spend time with you, it, it's, it looks really beautiful coming through you. 
So thank you for that, Ari. I, I just, I've loved your time in the inner circle. I've loved every time we get to have you on the podcast. Um, and I know that your students love you too. So thank you for that. It's, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. I don't know how many times I just said beautiful, but it's the word that comes up a lot when I'm talking about you. Um, <laughs> Ari, is there anything you would like to leave someone, a, a message for any listener out there, especially those who are in this active inquiry of how does how is my past life conditioning, my past life patterning, how is it influencing what's happening in my life right now? And how can I use that to either break free of patterns or enable myself to enter into entirely new experiences. You know, Jeff Green taught that about 80% of our initial impressions or reaction to life are based upon suppressed past life memory. That's also your your honest thing, by the way. And so we can always just sort of appreciate, I'm not upset for the reasons I think, or I think I know what's going on, or I think I have a story, but let me just, there's always, there's always a wisdom and value in slowing down and creating a little bit of space between our perceptions and our story of what we're perceiving and even questioning those perceptions because there's always another threshold of self-awareness. And when we catch that, we, we begin to understand our life circumstances very differently. And I tell you, the algorithm of, you know, from a soul perspective, we'll recreate relationships and it could be mother in one lifetime and, you know, a boss in the next lifetime or like, so we don't really see unless we have that vision. The, the greater algorithm and program behind these like healings and these configurations that we come into and which is why it's really helpful to appreciate like we're all just a bunch of tarot cards and personally reflecting these dynamics and they're arranging themselves in these brilliant ways that no no scientist could ever think of on their own at this point in human consciousness evolution it's like so just to appreciate that and as we learn astrology stay curious stay curious keep your attention on What's the teaching here? What's the evolutionary intention? I think that's the most important thing to keep our attention on. Mm, Stay curious. I love it. And what's the evolutionary intention? Very, very good. Thank you, Ari. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks to all of you for being a part of our community. As always, for making astrology a part of your life. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I can't wait to connect with you on the next one. Take care, everybody. This podcast is presented by Astrology Hub. You can learn more and find all of our shows at astrologyhub.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and help more people find the wisdom of astrology. Thank you for taking the time to do this now. Thank you for being a part of our community and for making astrology a part of your life.